Please remain standing for the reading of our scripture passage today. We'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs 15, 1 through 7. Hear the word of God. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of, the, of fools pours out folly. The eye of the Lord or the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks a spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Not so the hearts of fools. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you that as we gather this day that you have promised not only to be with us, but to instruct us. We have come to worship you. As a part of that worship, we seek to learn of you. So we pray now that you would truly be our teacher and our guide as we seek to understand from this your word the way in which you would have us to live. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. The book of Proverbs is uh, one of the more interesting books in all of the scriptures, partly because it gives us a lot of information in these little short, quick sentences that help us to understand a comparison of one versus the other. And it gives us this general knowledge of the way in which we are to live. It's not a book of deep theology, but it is a book that contains some very important theology. And one of the most important things that it shows us, and something we'll get into in our text today, has to do with the way in which there is the way of wisdom versus the way of folly. And overall, the book of Proverbs is more or less saying, which way are you living? Are you living in the ways of wisdom or are you following after the foolishness of the world, the way of folly? And so uh, we can look at the book of Proverbs then and find a lot of helpful ways in which we are to live out our lives. In saying all that, you also need to realize that these are general truths. You can't make one of these Proverbs apply in every situation. There's always going to be some circumstance out there that corrects it one way or the other, or the foolishness of sin itself gets in the way. So you can't make it a hard and fast rule all the time. They're general principles, but principles that are are worth considering, again, simply from the standpoint of it helps us to understand the way in which God would have us to live. And because uh, the book deals so much, and our text touches on this in a couple of places, it talks about the importance of wisdom and folly. And just to sort of set the stage for some of the other things that we'll be looking at, uh, we need to think what, uh, what Proverbs is meaning when it talks about wisdom. If you were to go back to chapter 8 of Proverbs, you would have a whole chapter on wisdom. And ultimately, what that chapter is describing is Christ Himself, Christ who is the wisdom of God. And we know that from the New Testament understanding of these things where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, Where is the one who is wise and where is the scribe? 
Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both the Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. So when you're following after wisdom, it basically means you're following after Christ. And when you're not following after Christ, you are indeed walking in the ways of the fool, according to Proverbs. James sort of summarizes that, I think, in James chapter 3, where he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere." And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is contrasting again wisdom and folly, and he's showing, of course, the virtues of wisdom and the way in which you're going to see wisdom when it's lived out because it's going to bring about peaceable situations and not the confusion and the folly of the world. Uh, One has described it this way, that uh, those who are living as the fool or living in what would be called an illusionary world. They disdain truth. They do not want to know about the facts that confuse their view of life. And I think you can connect the dots to what we see in our world today so often. There are people who are living in this illusionary world. Well, they're following after folly, uh, after that which is not in accordance with the truth. Following after wisdom is, again, following the ways in which God would have us to live. He's telling us about who we are, who He is, and our responsibility to Him and to one another. And if you listen to wisdom, you get that instruction. If you live in this illusionary world, then you're following, indeed, after the ways of folly. A couple of examples, you might say. One of the examples that uh, you can see of how foolish things are, especially in the Scriptures, when you go back to the children of Israel who'd been delivered out of Egypt from their bondage. And how often did they get out into the midst of the wilderness and complain to Moses and say, oh, we'd rather go back to Egypt. Things were a whole lot better back there. We were slaves back there, but things were a whole lot better as far as they were concerned because they were turning away from the word that God had given to them. That's the kind of illusionary world that uh, is being described here. And obviously not the kind of life that God would have us to live. That's basically jumping ahead, but now jumping back to verse 1 of our text where it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Again, we find some examples in the Scriptures that uh, help us to see how that soft word or not using the soft word, is the kind of 
lifestyle that the Lord would have us to live by using the soft word. One of the examples that I thought about was that of, of David. And, of course, David, uh, somebody told me long ago, we need to be thankful for David because if the Lord can redeem and use David after all the things that he did wrong, just think what he can do for us. You know, Not that we're a whole lot better than David, but if he can use David, he can use us. Anyway, getting to David. David, of course, had a lot of ups and downs in his life. And one of those times in his life when his son Absalom was trying to take over the throne and David was having to flee from Jerusalem. And as he's fleeing from Jerusalem, and there's a whole lot of background behind this, but Shimni was following after David and he was a descendant from Saul. And Shimni was calling out curses upon David and denouncing him severely in front of everyone, and he wouldn't stop. And so some of those who were with David said, let me go up there and cut off his head, uh, get rid of him. Uh, Here's what David had to say to that in 2 Samuel chapter 16. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjaminite leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimni went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. The point being that uh, it wasn't necessarily soft words, but it was an attitude of, I'm not going to take out any sort of revenge upon this man. Maybe the Lord is telling me something through him. Maybe the Lord will bring about justice upon him at some other point. But right now, that man has reason to think that I'm in the wrong, and so he's cursing me, and I can accept that. That's uh, contrary to a lot of the principles that we have come to think of as being the manly way of approaching things, isn't it? If you're insulted, you need to insult back. And sometimes it just gets into one shout after the other and didn't really accomplish anything. There's a story about a young man who was uh, severely insulted by someone else and the argument had recently ended. The young man goes to a wise pastor and the pastor hears his story And the pastor then says to the young man, you know, insults are like mud. What do you mean like mud? Well, if you let mud dry, it's a whole lot easier to get off, isn't it? What he was telling the young man is, let's have a cooling off period. You and the other fellow. Maybe you can settle things that way by cooling off for a period of time. Because if you go now... All you're going to do is stir up more quarrels and fights in the process. And that seems to fit very well with what we're taught in Proverbs 15 about the soft answer, the soft attitude versus the harsh attitude that so often betrays us, you might say. Someone else has pointed out that now people who teach driver's ed, how many of you like to have the job of being a driver's ed teacher? I don't think many of us would want that, but I'm glad that some of them are out there doing that. Uh, grandson ours just got his driver's license back a few months ago, and uh, I would have hated the thought of having to try to teach him. I would have been not using 
uh, the kind words, I'm sure, all the way through. But at any rate, uh, in driver's ed now, they say that the teachers have to give instructions on what to do in case someone cuts you off or does something else uh, that causes you to burn in anger. Don't go after them. (laughs) You never know what they're going to do. That's wise counsel, especially in our world today where so many are following after the wrong ideas of what it means to to live uh, the right kind of life. So, uh, the soft answer. The soft answer that uh, turns away the anger. Oh, that we would all learn that lesson. But then there's that general principle that I was speaking about. There are places in Scripture and places that I can think of in my own life and experience where uh, a very stern word was needed. A stern word was needed when something was truly amiss, something that threatened the cause of the gospel or particular uh, ministry that you might be involved with in some way, and it had to be addressed in a stern and firm way. If you look in the New Testament, you'll find that uh, on at least two occasions, Jesus uh, demonstrated that kind of, of sternness. He rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew tw- chapter 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. And he's addressing the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus called them a brood of vipers. Other occasion in the, in the temple, you remember, of course, the time that he goes in and throws over the money changers who were abusing the temple. That's the point of making there is that Yes, a soft answer is the best way to go under most circumstances, but there are times when harshness has to be implied. Don't mix the two together. Learn how to use that soft answer in the right way, and only when absolutely necessary can you use those harsh words that uh, hopefully will correct an an abuse that uh, needs to be corrected. And like all of us, I expect you can think about ways in which uh, there are times, even I was telling the children in the children's sermon, there are times when I've done it both ways, you know, screamed when I should have been quiet and maybe been quiet when I should have been screaming. Oh, how we need uh, the godly direction that only our Lord can provide for us as we go through life. We come to verse 7, though, and... uh, This ties back into to what we've been talking about with the godly way of living, the the way of wisdom or the way of folly. And in verse 7, it says here, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the hearts of fools. There's a couple of paraphrases to that verse that go this way. One says, Knowledge is spread by people who are wise, not by fools. But the one I really like seems to hit at the heart of it, says this, Words of wisdom make good sense. The thoughts of a fool make no sense at all. Words of wisdom make good sense. The thoughts of a fool make no sense at all. That's spelling out what we've been trying to describe here about the way of wisdom versus the way of folly. The way of wisdom. The way of wisdom that 
spreads forth knowledge. Isn't that what uh, believers are supposed to be doing? Spreading forth knowledge, being lights to the world, and making known the glories of Christ. And it's those who know Christ who can tell others about Christ. It's those who have come to understand what the Bible tells us about how we're all sinners and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And no one can be justified in the sight of God through his own actions, through his own attitude. We can't earn our salvation. We don't do enough good things in order to merit that salvation. But God in his great love for us has fixed that problem by sending his son, even Jesus Christ, who lived that perfect life that we could not live, and then willingly went to the cross on our behalf, whereby He received the full punishment for our sins. All of, our, all of God's wrath was poured out upon Him in order that our sins might be forgiven. And now when we put our faith and our trust in the work of Christ, then God no longer sees us and our sin, but He sees the righteousness of Christ applied to us. His righteousness for our guilt. And because Christ died on the cross in that way, paying that price, and then rose again from the dead, proving that God was satisfied with the payment that had been made, we then can have that assurance that our sins indeed are blotted out and we can go and live with Him once this life is over. You see, that's the the gospel message that we need to be living by. It's the gospel message that that comes from wise lips, the lips of the wise spreading that knowledge. And that's what we are to be about, spreading the knowledge of Christ. You know, in, in our world today, people are very concerned about the rights of others, whether it be gender rights or, or ethnic rights or sexual rights, whatever it might be. And yet, how many people are concerned, that we hear about in the media at least, how many people in the media are concerned about Christians who are being persecuted because they tell the story of Jesus Christ? Persecution is taking place all throughout the world. You read some of the information from Voice of the Martyrs and other agencies that uh, track such things as these. There's well over 50 countries in the world today who are persecuting Christians. Some of that persecution includes imprisonment. Sometimes it includes death. Sometimes it includes things such as no longer being able to get a good job, if a job at all, depending on the culture of which they're part. Verbal abuse, all kinds of things that are done because they're trying to spread the good news of Christ. And yet, you know, the world is acting more like the fool there, aren't they? Stopping the spread of wisdom. Stopping the spread of the truth. And living by that which indeed is an illusion of folly. An illusion that says, people don't need this Jesus thing. That's just a crutch. And I don't have to worry about life after death because there's nothing there. One day they'll know. But it'll be too late. 
One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the folly will have caught up with them. Oh, that we then as God's children would be faithful in spreading the good news because the world truly needs to know of that good news before it's too late. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we do Good News Club. That's why we have biblical studies release time. That's why we gather together on the Lord's Day and try to encourage one another to go back out into this world that's full of illusions and folly and show them the truth by our words, by our deeds, by the proclamation that we're able to give because words of wisdom make good sense. The thoughts of a fool make no sense at all. Oh, that uh, more and more of God's people would be out there spreading the glorious good news of Christ. As in all things in uh, the Scriptures, there's only one perfect example of that one who follows after the way of wisdom completely and demonstrates the kind of way in which you are to use that soft answer to turn away wrath rather than harsh words. And that, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to both the wisdom, for He is wisdom, and also the answer to the way in which using that soft word uh, indeed is the right way to go. Think about the things that you remember Jesus doing and reading about Him regarding His soft answer in particular You remember how Isaiah spoke in those beautiful words out of Isaiah 53 where he's speaking of Christ and he says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You remember that truly was the way in which Jesus acted when he was arrested and when he was being put on trial and when he was being beaten, being led to the cross. He answered not a word. It was the Father's will. And it was a part of the way in which He was enduring for our sakes the punishment that we deserve. He was being despised and rejected of men. Think of the way in which Jesus reacted in that way, not with harsh words. And then think of the people that He dealt with. I think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4 where uh, this woman, Jesus comes to this woman asking for a drink of water and she's shocked that He would even ask her for something like that. But He goes on and has this conversation with her and He asks her about her husband and she says, well, I don't have a husband. Well, no, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And Jesus doesn't do like uh, sometimes we... Uh, would like to do, you might say, if we see somebody who's living in that type of sinful lifestyle and you know, scream and shout at them and say, you've got to repent. <laughs> and that's true, but you know what Jesus did? He, he continued to speak to her in such a way to where she understood the gospel and He was offering to her living water. He didn't raise His voice or He didn't condemn her. He simply offered her the gospel. And she obviously received it because she went away back into the town and told them about what he had done, and then they came out to see him. She went from one who perhaps was living in this illusionary world to one who had wisdom, and then she was spreading the good news by telling others and 
letting them come out to see for themselves who this Jesus really was, really is. Think also of many others along those lines. Think of the thief on the cross. He had been mocking Jesus. But then when he recognized that Jesus was indeed being punished for something he didn't do, he simply humbled himself before him. And he no longer mocked and simply asked, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And those wonderful words of Jesus today, you will be with me in paradise. What a, what a gracious, loving Savior who again continues to offer to those who come to him seeking the way of wisdom, the way of life, putting life together in the right way. He gives to them those precious words of comfort and assurance. And to all of us and to many who out throughout the ages, those wonderful words of Jesus in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus indeed demonstrated that he had that uh, a power, that ability to speak softly and carefully to those around, enabling them to, to see that he cared for them. It happened more than once, not just in Jesus' life, but you remember uh, in the study of Elijah that Mark has been going through, you remember how when Elijah was really burned out from all the ministry that he'd been doing, and he finally gets to the mountain, and there's an earthquake, and there's a wind, there's a fire, but what is that thing that really got Elijah's attention? The still small voice. It wasn't, uh, Elijah, get back to work. You know that you'd been goofing off. You know, get on back to work. I know it's been tough, but get back. No, it was a still small voice. The still small voice that demonstrated that uh, God wasn't through with Elijah. And perhaps that too is a lesson for us when we're dealing with someone, when we'd like to use the words of anger, but instead are able to use the words that are more of a soft nature, whereby we can say, God's not through with you yet, and God's not through with me yet. So maybe together we can learn of these wonderful things. The bottom line is, uh, our words and deeds need to be filled with wisdom. Our words and our deeds need to be filled with that concept of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Something we perhaps don't think about day by day, but something we should be thinking about day by day. How how is my life going to reflect on the glory of Christ this day? How are my words going to spread the knowledge of Him to a world that is hurting and in need? How is my life going to influence someone else to where they too might come to know the joy of what it means to to live for Christ and no longer live in this illusionary world. No, we're not perfect. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to become more like you day after day so that we would be ones who are spreading the knowledge of your great name to a world around. And we're doing so with words of comfort and assurance not in the harsh rebuke that sometimes is attributed to, to uh, a brand of Christianity, 
But may we, by God's grace, be instruments that are useful in His hands.